0: Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton.
1: And my name is Adam Jones. Today we are reviewing The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Green. Mate, this is an absolute beast. Uh, I think it's gone to my
0: number one book of all time.
1: It is definitely my yeah. number one book of all time now. Blown yeah.
0: away by it, really. The author of The 48 Laws of Power, uh, Mastery, Seduction, War, and this is like the culmination of everything, human nature. This is all about how we act and why. So, throughout the course of our lives, we inevitably have to deal with a variety of
1: individuals who stir up trouble and make our lives difficult and unpleasant. So, this book, it's all about this idea that we could dive deep below the surface to see deep within and getting closer to the actual roots of what causes such human behavior.
0: Mm. And let us call this collection of forces human nature. So, human nature stems from, he calls it, the the particular wiring of our brains, the configuration of our nervous system, the way that humans have evolved, uh, and really, it's all about this process of our emotions, our moods, and our upbringing, and the groups that we associate with, and how we're impacted by all of those things. This book is an attempt to gather together
1: an immense storehouse of knowledge and ideas from whole different branches uh, of human knowledge, and each chapter... Uh, ends with a section on how you can transform this basic human force. A lot of the time, they're dark and negative, but turning them into something positive.
0: Mm. So it's 18 chapters, uh, and each chapter, I guess, they, they address different elements of human nature. And on one level, it's good to be conscious of them. The next level, it's good to understand yourself. And then the next level below that is how to understand other people and their behavior. So phenomenal book. We're going to tackle uh, a couple of... The Laws of Human Nature and it's such a massive book, it's 600 pages, we're going to break this into multiple episodes and so you can listen to either, you can listen to both, it's pretty much standalone, you don't have to listen in order, um, just learn about human nature yourself and others and fucking enjoy.
1: Yeah, you're going to get slapped up.
0: Chapter 7, Soften People's Resistance by Confirming Their Self-Opinion, The Law of Defensiveness. Life is harsh and people competitive. We naturally must look after our own interests. We also want to feel that we are independent, doing our own bidding. That is why when others try to persuade or change us, we become defensive and resistant. To give in challenges our need to feel autonomous. That is why to get people to move from their defensive positions, you must always make it seem like what they are doing is of their own free will. Creating a feeling of mutual warmth helps soften people's resistance and makes them want to help. Never attack people for their beliefs or make them feel insecure about their intelligence or goodness. That will only strengthen their defensiveness and make your task impossible. Make them feel that by doing what you want, they are being noble and altruistic, the ultimate lure. Learn to tame your own stubborn nature and free your mind from its defensive and closed positions, unleashing your creative powers.
1: From early on in life, we we humans develop a defensive and self-protective side to our personality. So it really begins in early childhood as we cultivate a sense of personal, physical space that others should not come in and really violate. And then this later expands as we get a little bit older to the feeling of personal dignity, so, people should not coerce or manipulate us into doing things that we don't want to do, right? So, we really feel like we should be
0: free to choose mm. what we desire. Yeah, that's it, man. And it sort of uh, gets even worse. as The older we get because we're always feeling like we're being judged. We always feel like people are appraising us. They're saying, are, are we competent? Are we good enough? Are we a good person? Are we a team player? We never feel like we're free from this scrutiny. So, what that means is that our... Automatic position is always defensiveness. Whenever any new idea or new opinion comes in, the first thing we do is defend and resist, and it only gets stronger. And if uh, the thing comes in is obviously negative, our defenses go way up, and it's almost impossible to bring them down again.
1: Mm -hmm. We continually find ourselves in in all kinds of situations where we, we need to move people from these resistance positions. So if the default mode is this feeling of defensiveness, then there needs to be to find a way. And this is where this chapter really helps us here. It's lowering lowering the resistance of other people so you can
0: persuade. Yes, it's a a great view on persuasion. And he says that you need to understand that you need to create a feeling of validation. He says that that's the golden key that will unlock people's defenses. And he says, the law is as follows. People have a perception about themselves that we shall call their self-opinion. So this self-opinion it doesn't matter if it's accurate or not because what matters is that that's how they perceive themselves and their own character and their worthiness and it's up to us to confirm that if we violate that if we try to show them that hey your self opinion's wrong it's game over in terms of persuasion mm.
1: mate that's absolutely massive i think
0: yeah so you know everyone's got their own self opinion
1: if you go make go against what they believe about themselves defenses go up But if you confirm what they believe about themselves to be accurate, Mm. then they let you in to be able to persuade them. Yeah. And the good news is there's... So, basically, the goal of this, we want to confirm their self-opinion. And there are three parts of people's self-opinion that are pretty much universal. So, any person you come up with, these three things you can actually confirm and lower their defenses.
0: Yeah. The first one is I'm autonomous and acting of my own free will. The second is I'm intelligent and in my own way. And the third is, I'm basically good and decent. And what he says is that we all believe this about ourselves, but it's really only when somebody external validates it that we truly believe it. So, we're always feeling this. If someone comes along and confirms this, we feel much more closely associated with them by thinking, oh, yeah, I'm a good person. They recognize I'm a good person. I like this person.
1: Mm. Let's dig it a little bit deeper on all three of them, I think, because it's really important. So, the first one he said there is, I am acting of my own free will. So, when we join a group, if we believe something, if we buy a product or something, we want to feel like it was completely our conscious free choice to do so. Mm. We weren't influenced. We weren't persuaded. We weren't biased or irrational in any other way, which through reading other chapters in this book, you realize that's an all crock of shit yeah. as well. <laughs> but we want to feel like it was all our choice and we're in control of what we do.
0: Yeah. Even if deep down we know that we will manipulate or we succumb to to peer pressure, we tell ourselves the story that it was all free will. And we have this need to constantly assert this free will and we always feel that if somebody's trying to coerce or manipulate us, we're going to go against them. And if it gets to the point where, say, it's a boss tells you, no, you have to do this, there's going to be some deep resentment and later on you're going to find some way to secretly rebel against it. Hell, yeah. Yeah,
1: we're dark (laughs) people. The second one was I'm intelligent.
0: And it's not just
1: intelligent in the one uh, niche area of, you know, science or politics or anything like that. It's the intelligent... People want to feel like they're intelligent in their own particular way. Yes. So, it might be a plumber um, who is a super plumber and knows a lot about plumbing. I was looking for technical terms of plumbing, but obviously, (laughs) I'm not strong in that area. But whatever field they're in, they want to feel like they're experts
0: in their own way. Yeah. Everybody... Uh, believes that they are above average in most things. Now, it's mathematically impossible for everyone to be above average, but we always find some area in our own way that, yes, we are intelligent. So we might not all be Einstein level. Um, Some of us are. But uh, we might also... <laughs> <laughs> fucking... That's just your self-opinion, just- mate. <laughs> mate, I've found one area of intelligence and I'm-, I'm clinging to that. But it- there's all these different areas mate, of intelligence. Mate, fucking shit, mate. <laughs> <That's-> Envy attack. <laughs> That'll come later. <laughs> so, we all find this... We all believe we are intelligent and if we're not book smart, we find another area that actually we're intelligent in our own way because we're really good at this one particular thing.
1: The third one was oh, I'm a good person. So, we like to feel like we see ourselves as supporting the right causes, we treat people well, you know, we're a team player in the company and so forth. Um, so, in our own way as well, we are good people. Mm. Um, someone might be a, an arsehole to his friends but sees themselves as a very good family person or something like yeah. that. So we'll, or yeah. even
0: if they are an arsehole to their friends, they think there was a bit of tough love, This I needed to show this person why they were wrong, like... It was in it was in their best interest for me to be a dog yes yeah, so no matter what
1: they do they really consider themselves a good person yeah Adolf well, Hitler he considers himself a good person for whatever reasons he is yeah so the extremes of evil um, no matter how evil they may seem they themselves think they're good
0: yes so these are three key universal things they're so like it's almost like a cold reading um, that you could do on anybody and you could say that okay if you can confirm this everyone thinks that they're autonomous and acting of their own free will. Everybody thinks they're above average intelligence in some way and everybody thinks that they're a good person. So, they're the three key things that every single person believes about themselves. Mm. And there's a few others here as well, right? So, that's, they're the ones that are
1: specific for everyone but everyone else has got their own unique ones as well. So, some people might out there think, you know, I'm a rebel and you're a conformist. Uh, another one might think I'm good looking and you are less so. Yeah. Uh, another might think I'm an individual... Um, and you're just like everyone else
0: yeah that's the key like if you know if people think okay i'm a free spirit i'm one of a kind i'm unique or they think i'm very self-reliant i don't need anybody's help or they think i'm a rebel i disdain authority what they're really thinking is that they're better than other people in that regard so on one hand they're thinking this is about them but really it's com- comparing themselves to other people and thinking that they're better you know i'm a free spirit and you're just like everybody else mm. i'll go on for you mate <laughs> specific few yeah <clears throat> So, you're briefly alluding to the um,
1: intelligence part. So, mm. you, I think you th- think that I'd bring that up as your main one, but it's yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> your one, I think you feel like you're... You, well, this is true, actually. You do have this friendly facade, but you feel like you're someone who's really Machiavellian in the background. Mm. But, but, I don't reckon you are, but I reckon, <laughs> I reckon <laughs> your self-opinion is that you're yes. very uh, much... Oh, you are strategic to a point, but you see yourself as yeah. an extremely strategic person and Machiavellian, and all yes, that. Like and that. you can you are very mm-hmm. manipulative of people, and you take great pleasure in that uh, self opinion of yourself. Yes.
0: Do you agree with that, mate? That's a good. That's a good punch. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, there was a left fielder. It's, it's just in the notes. AA, So I was. I wasn't sure it was coming, but I like <laughs> it. I think that's bang on, man. Yeah, man, I think that's some some next level deep. Psychoanalysis. It's, uh, it kind of hurts. Yeah. Does it hurt a little bit? No, I don't think it does. I think it's. Hit me with mine, does, mate. Actually, does a little bit. It yeah. does, trust me. <laughs> uh, mate, the other one for you, I think, is yours is uh, that you're morally superior to a lot of people. Like, you have these uh, big causes that you're saving the planet or that, you know, anyone who buys a fancy car is just a, is just a selfish, <laughs> worthless dick. That's sort of, <laughs> so I think that's uh that'll be your, your self opinion is that uh, I, I don't need these external material things. Uh, I'm just uh, driving towards a, gra- a greater cause. Yeah. That's yeah. so spot on, mate. <laughs> it's painful to hear. And, That's just like two parts in this
1: book and that's what the book's all Mm. about. In every chapter, you'll be reading about it and it'll be like, oh, shit, this person's pretty fucked up. This person's (laughs) pretty fucked up. And then, bang, he'll just describe exactly (laughs) you, um, like- like straight to your unconscious and yeah. really hit you for six and then the worst part is straight after that I go oh yeah it's because when you were three years old you had this love attachment with your mother or some, <laughs> <laughs> some really weird unconscious shit from when you, when you grew up but um, that's how he hits you in the book it's but that's a,
0: I think that's the important key of the book the, the, the first thing is to understand yourself first and then the second thing is to then start to understand others yes absolutely, such a good book um, okay so Next, now that we've got these, these three things, in any interaction, people are always going to be looking, what's this person's motive behind what they're saying? So, we're always trying to decode. So, that's why we need to be super Machiavellian, mate, and be strategic and manipulative. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he says three, three things can happen. Either if you challenge any of these, um, any of their self-opinion, the first thing they're going to do is their defenses are going to go way up. Uh, if you make them feel like they're brainwashed or they're unintelligent or whatever, and those walls are never going to come down. So if you in any way go against their self-opinion, you've pretty much killed that interaction.
1: So that's the first road you can go down. The second road is you can just simply uh, just leave their self-opinion in a neutral position. Um, So neither challenged nor confirmed if you say in a moment where you disagree with them.
0: Yeah, in that sense, we still have a bit of room to maneuver, but the best option obviously is to actively confirm their self-opinion. So, this is one of people's, you know, most... He, in fact, I, I was listening to an interview with Robert Greene. He says this is the number one thing is people want to feel um, externally validated. They want to feel like their self-opinion is true. And he quoted uh, William James, the father of psychology, effectively. He was saying that this is the number one thing is people want their self-opinion confirmed. And so, obviously, in any negotiation, and in any influence, that's the key that you need to start with is confirm their self-opinion.
1: Mm. A lot of people might see that as really um, manipulative and evil when you're, uh, even if you don't believe what you're saying really in terms of their self-opinion. But Robert Green would say it's the opposite route, right? So, the game is unavoidable and this mm. is something we do really unconsciously. So, rather than to sit there and denial that this is a part of human nature, this is actually something that we do um, every day. It's just becoming conscious of it and yes. it is a much more effective way of uh, getting things done really
0: yeah he says the game is unavoidable this manipulating it has got a negative spin on it but influencing others um, re- re- reducing their defensiveness re- um, reducing their resistance he says that you your option is to either deny it and be bad at it or improvise on the spot when this kind of scenario arises or you can choose to practice and become good at it and realize that it's inevitable and that it's unavoidable and it's better for you to be better at it than just making it up on the spot.
1: Absolutely. And that's one of the more the, the darker side of things. But there's also a real positive thing, right? So, in um, validating their self-opinion, there's this mutual warmth and respect. Mm. And you're really fulfilling one of their deepest needs in life, right? That their, self, their self-opinion is being fulfilled. So, you're giving them a real, real gift, rather than um, knocking them for six and making them feel like shit for the rest of the day.
0: Yeah, that's a good positive spin on it. Yeah, I like it. Mm. So, what he gives next, he gives the four strategies uh, or the four steps to becoming a master persuader. So, the first thing is something we've talked about a fair bit is transforming yourself into a deep listener. So, in normal conversations, our attention is divided. You know, we're sort of half listening to what the person is saying. We're following along. But really, what we're doing is we're thinking of what we're going to say next.
1: Mm. So even they even though you're going to let them do eighty percent of the talking, um you need to make them feel that it was like a lively exchange, mm. not just you just asking questions, asking questions, asking questions that's a mistake I fell into to be honest, after reading how to Win Friends and Influence people. It was just a one way conversation and um, it was probably counterproductive in the listening so um in the in the exchange, make sure it's lively and it feels like it's mutual as well
0: yeah, he says you know that's a generic advice is you know, talk less, listen more, but you've got to be careful with how you do that. You don't want to just be constantly asking about them and never sharing anything about yourself because there's no connection there. And he says you also don't want to just barrage them with, with questions and feel like they're being interrogated or like, you know, you're asking about their whole life story to eventually manipulate them later. Mm, I like it. Number two was infect people with the proper mood. Mm, he says as social animals, we're extremely susceptible to the moods and emotions of other people. So if we're going to have a conversation... If I'm thinking, oh man, I'm trying to get this person to do a favor for me, I'm so nervous and I'm feeling tense, they're just going to feel that energy effectively and it's going to uh, infect them with that negative energy and so, it's probably not the best place to start any kind of negotiation. So, he says that what you need to do is infect them with a positive energy instead and think good about the other person so you're in a in a good frame of mind.
1: Yes, and if you think back to our, we've done a few kind of sales books and there's uh, You know, similar to this, if you go into it with very little confidence, um, you know, there's no way you're going to get it done and they're going to actually be confident in the transaction as well. Mm. So, you need to ood the the confidence in what you're doing.
0: Yeah, he talked about some of the the best uh, seducers as well and he he says that the best thing about them was that they just always felt so calm and so relaxed. And the women said that it felt like I'd already had three martinis. That's how relaxed the whole environment felt. And so, it's, a, it's an infectious to feel so comfortable and feel relaxed and it makes other people feel better.
1: Yeah, mate, that's a very uh, Machiavellian inside of yours. <laughs> You're very Machiavellian, mate. And that's a great um, segue into <laughs> into number three, which is confirming yeah. their self-opinion.
0: <laughs> I like it, mate. I like it a lot. So, we already talked about the three things, autonomy, intelligence, and goodness. So, we need to confirm those uh, in the conversation to get them on side. Um, One thing I liked is, we've, we've covered it a fair bit, but say for intelligence, he says if someone's got an opinion or an idea that you completely disagree with, for you to say you disagree with it, it's just saying you're dumb, I'm smart, and that's game over. So, he said instead a couple of different ways to present your idea. One is to say, oh, I was just having a think, you know, I just sort of had this idea. Uh, it's probably not right, but what do you think about this? So, you're almost like saying it's, it's not your idea. It's just an idea that you had and what do you reckon? So, the other way to do it, he says, is just completely agree with their view and then manipulate from there. <laughs> <laughs> is it just made you like awkward when you say that for yourself now? <laughs> nah, a little
1: bit, a little bit, a little bit. I like it. Um, and so, the fourth one is allay their insecurities yeah so everyone has particular insecurities you know their looks pimples on their face creative powers the masculinity power status uniqueness popularity i mean everyone's got these insecurities so avoid them if you yeah (laughs) if you prod these insecurities then um you're going to release a dragon in them and Mm. uh, behind your back and all this kind of stuff they're going to be knocking you out
0: yeah he says so that's the first the first part is confirming their self opinion their positive ideas about themselves and the, the next part is never bringing up these negative things so it comes back to the first step you know empathetically empathically listening and understanding them and try to spot these insecurities and then if you know if they've got a certain insecurity whether it's a way they hold their body that there's a part of their body they're not happy about or something or they talk about how they don't often go out on the Weekends or something because they don't have many friends. Whatever it is, never bring that up in a conversation. So, in any conversation, if you trigger that insecurity, that defensiveness automatically goes up. So, you need to be very careful to avoid those insecurities in your conversation.
1: Mate, this is an absolutely super chapter. Um, confirming people's self opinion to get down their defences, so you can have this connection of mutual warmth. And if you were that type of person, um, to you can persuade them and convince mm. them to do some things. The three things that everybody has, so in any exchange, you can just do these three things and that's confirmed that that person is autonomous. You can confirm that that person is intelligent in their Mm. own way, whether it's plumbing, whether it's engineering or whatever. And number three, they're all good and decent in their own way. I like
0: it, mate, because I'm so Machiavellian. I love books like uh, Influence, Persuasion, Win Bigly, but this is just like a, a much more simple, like a universal thing. These are the three things that everybody believes, and it's obvious to see that these are true, so confirm those, never go against those. It's a a much more simple approach, I think.
1: Chapter 9. Confront your dark side. The law of repression. People are rarely who they seem to be. Lurking beneath their polite, affable exterior is inevitably a dark shadow side consisting of the insecurities and the aggressive, selfish impulses they repress and carefully conceal from public view. This dark side leaks out behaviour that will baffle and harm you. Learn to recognise the signs of the shadow before they become toxic. See people's overt traits, toughness, saintliness, etc. as covering up the opposite quality. You must become aware of your own dark side. In being conscious of it, you can control and channel the creative energies that lurk in your unconscious. By integrating the dark side into your personality, you will be a more complete human and will radiate an authenticity that will draw people to you.
0: Everybody has crafted and created this public persona. It's what we show to the world and we've accentuated our own strengths and we've concealed our weaknesses. Obviously, everybody has these weaknesses and when he says that everybody has this Repressed part of themselves that they've hidden deep, deep down inside them. It's much less socially acceptable. And he says the dark side, or as Carl Jung calls it, the shadow. Everybody's got it within us, and we're all hiding our dark side. You have become terribly nice and pleasant, but
1: you have a dark side that you're loathe to admit and examine. Hmm. Every now and then, we glimpse behavior from people that really we don't normally see and it's a big surprise. They start doing some really evil or weird shit. So, or we will hear about some unpleasant treatment of their family or their wife or their boyfriend or whatever. And really, it's it's goes right against their um, behavior that they
0: really try and show the world. But deep down, there's this dark part of them. Yeah, we've all got it. And it just sometimes, sometimes leaks out. We either see somebody else, so we think, "What that was a really weird thing for them to do, or even we notice ourselves, hang hey, why did we just do that? That's not who we are. But it's it's deep within us, this dark side, this shadow that, that sometimes escapes, and we need to, because we're all now uh, students of human nature, we need to examine our own dark side to truly understand ourselves better.
1: Yeah, in the chapter at some stage, he talks about, you know, the- Say if you're walking on the top of a cliff and there's a big fall or something and there's a team of three, there's this little part in your brain, that, oh, oh, it'd be interesting if we just knocked him off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mate, I actually realized the other day I was just walking sometimes I'm walking in the street and I just if I if I walk past someone that I don't like the look of, I think about bashing them. Yeah. <laughs> That's my dark side. Yeah, there's that, this, that um, creeps out. <laughs> there's just like five
1: or ten percent in all of this that these weird things come up. And the way it it, it really happens at a young age And it's our parents' fault. (laughs) Like a lot of shit. But our parents thought that people were judging them by the behavior of their children. So, they wanted their children to be so nice and put on a nice and pleasant show for others and act like a little sweet angel. And most of us actually succeed in becoming this social animal that our parents wanted us to be. But this comes at a huge price. We end up missing the intensity that we experienced in childhood, and the full gamut of emotions and the creative that that comes with it. So we become this really pleasant, nice person, and with that, we really are um, uh, really ineffective at the same time, just being so weak. Really, that's another AJ term there.
0: Yeah, definitely. As we, as we, you know, we, we were trained to hide some of the wild elements of our nature. You know, be these sweet little angels as kids. That's sort of the time to experience all the full gamut of emotions. When you're a kid, when it, there's no risk, really. Like, you're not going to get fired. You're not going to go bankrupt. That's when it's really time to experience everything rather than suppress this dark side. I do, mate. I think a lot of this book, a lot of psychology, it's all, all about, oh, when you're a two-year-old kid and your parents fucked you up. There's a part of that which I don't, didn't love in the book. I think as it probably takes away some of that autonomy and free will and that, <laughs> that ability to you know, control your own future. Um, that's yeah, But it comes up a lot. So, that, maybe that's just me, man. I, I didn't it love that part of it, but yeah. Yeah, well, he does
1: look at it as if we're like just a biological... It's like a, studying a zebra or something. It's very detached mm. from the human way to really look at human nature in general. And that's why there's so many gems. Yeah, And this idea it. of the dark side, it does come up in weird parts of culture. We do look at evil movies and we glamorize the um, Al Capone types and all that who Mm. are doing some evil stuff but we really fantasize about them and from movies but also in everyday life like last week um, there was a really a a terrorist attack that hit popular you know mainstream news there was a guy who uh, went into Burke Street in Melbourne blew up his car or burnt his car and then stabbed someone and and killed someone Mm. but Usually, you think people would be really upset and and angry when this is happening, but what happened? Everyone around the whole vicinity pulled out their mobile phones, Mm. and if you look at the the footage of the people looking at it, there was this weird excitement in them than when all this debacle was actually happening, right? So rather than doing anything about it, they decide to film it. So, this is the dark side coming out and they're secretly excited about th- th- these kind of things. And you listening, you'd probably do the same thing.
0: Mm. Mate, you had a bit of dark side as well the next morning when you sent me through all the videos of the <laughs> Facebooks that you were watching. Yes,
1: <laughs> absolutely. So, there's a, few, there's a few ways you can look at the, the dark side in everyday behavior and this is what uh, Green calls deciphering the shadow. One way it might come out is through contradictory behavior. And this is probably most popular with priests who their light side, that they show their, you know, so holy and holy, but behind closed doors, they're pedos.
0: <laughs> Not all of them, a lot of them. Eh? <laughs> there was a few, that's for sure. Um, another one is like emotional outbursts. So, you've, something's annoying you or something, you repress it, you ignore it, you ignore it, you ignore it and it builds up and it builds up and eventually you just crack and let out this emotional outburst. Sometimes physical, but hopefully just uh, some kind of uh, verbal or emotional outburst, which is obviously a bit of the dark side coming out.
1: Absolutely. Another one is uh, vehement denial. So it could be a person so you know um, homophobic, but deep down they're gay themselves. Mm. That's quite
0: common. Another one is uh, accidental behaviour that we throw off as accidental. Oh, I was so drunk, I had no idea what I was doing, and you you blame alcohol or something, but really it was a bit of the shadow coming out and doing what you really wanted to do and you just had this excuse to do it now.
1: It's probably one of our biggest reasons why a lot of people love to drink is it's an opportunity to let the shadow mm. run wild, eh?
0: Yeah, you mate, it's yeah, good fun just getting wild. Yeah, there's a lot all more the alcohol
1: man. Like, no dark side. Yeah, there's a lot more <laughs> violence, there's a lot more sex, there's a lot more yeah. all that kind of stuff that comes out. Another is over idealization. So you're charged with powerful conviction and we gloss over any faults or downside of the cause of an idealizing cause. So if you think um, people who are, are really swept up by some kind of ideal, all of a sudden they can k- start doing killing people in the name yeah. of some ideal or something that, that has happened in the past. Um, there's a chapter, not in this chapter, but you know, the story of Mao and everyone through this this idealism of Mao, they were able to kill people and then just um, let the shadow run wild because that was the ideal doing the work for him.
0: Yeah, same as like violent protests. Like there's a, because there's a bit of action going on, it's a reason to jump in there and join in that violent protest to let the shadow out. Another one is projection. Like you might look at, uh, that guy's such a power hungry, um, cynical boss or something. But really that's just projecting our own desires to dominate and have power that we're projecting that onto them.
1: Another is contradictory behavior. So, there'll be people who um, ooze these emphatic traits like unusual confidence, uh, exceptional niceness and affability, but deep down, they're really the opposite. So, think about the bloke walking around with the huge muscles and the tats, but deep down, they're just an insecure little bitch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like it. So, that's that's the dark side. That's the shadow. That's why we have it. And that's some of the signs that we can see it leaking out. And so, what our goal is... Uh, to better understand ourselves is to become what Green calls an integrated human. So rather than being who you are plus the shadow hidden underneath, he's saying you need to integrate the shadow into your full personality. So in the course of our lives, we're going to meet these
1: people who appear to be especially comfortable with themselves. They're able to laugh at themselves. They can admit their shortcomings. Um, They can admit all the mistakes they've made. At the same time, they're playful. They have an impish edge to them. And they've retained more of this child
0: within throughout their lives. Mm. I don't know if it's that they're conscious of the shadow. They probably don't know this exact term, but they've uh, subconsciously, you know, adopted this shadow and allowed themselves to have both sides of their personality integrated.
1: And a character, a popular character that really comes to mind straight away is like a, you know, someone like Joe Rogan, right? Mm. Uh, He's still got that child. Personality with him, but he's still got that dark side. Like he can oh, just yeah, judo kick stuff. you across the face, <laughs> right? He's got, he is really an authentic, integrated human and incredible podcaster. And one thing's for certain: we're really completely drawn to the authentic types and unconsciously repulsed by the opposite. Mm. I mean, mm. I saw a, a priest a few months ago, and it was just just odd. <laughs> Not all
0: priests. <laughs> This priest was really odd, and it just seemed inauthentic and weird, and I was kind of repulsed by him. You can almost you can almost sense when someone's really repressing something, and they're putting on a facade of that they're completely one pure, and there's no actual. They're trying to really hide that dark side. You can almost tell that there's there's something else going on underneath.
1: So we want to get our shadow and integrate it into our personalities. The good news is
0: Green has got four ways to reconnect us with the shadow. Step one is to see the shadow. So, as we said, we're always trying to repress it. The first thing we need to do is realize it's there and see it in ourselves. It's very easy to see it in other people and
1: moralize about the dark side of yeah. all these other people, but it's much harder and more difficult and takes a lot more guts to just see it in yourself. Mm. Oh, definitely, man. Number two is you need to embrace the shadow. So, when you, your natural reaction when you look at your own shadow and go, oh, fuck. I don't want to kill my boss, do I? (laughs) So, say the idea of killing your boss or something, which is a real thing I think that pops up in people's heads. That's some some shadow. So, naturally, you're going to feel really uncomfortable and only maintain a surface awareness of it. But your goal is the opposite. It's Mm. not just complete acceptance, but to integrate it into your present personality.
0: Yeah. So, embracing that shadow. So, as I said, when I'm... Seeing, walking along the street and i turn and i imagine how, how I would bash this person up. I need to not just think, oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> I Don't need look to actually, away. Just yeah. realize you could do that. There's <laughs> a part see, of the you that could do that. And embrace it and probably find a, a different outlet to channel that, which comes later, but
1: yeah. Number three is exploring the shadow. So, consider the shadow to have depths that contain great crea- creative energy. So, with our conscious thinking, there, there's real limits to how... Uh, deep you can go but your unconscious has this limitless material from memories, experience, information absorbed in study. So, when you explore your darkest impulses, you really unlock these wild creative energies in part of you, mm. parts of you that really didn't exist before um,
0: that you could really obtain. Yeah, and then step four is to show the shadow. So, he says that everybody's got this habit of being nice and that often crosses over into timidity or a lack of confidence or indecisiveness so he says you need to really show your shadow and i think a good example is steve jobs people are like steve jobs he was such an innovator he was so creative if only he wasn't such a a dick of a boss then he would have achieved so much but that's really the shadow coming out He, he allowed the shadow to come out to be an abrasive person that didn't get along with everybody and wasn't timid and wasn't lacking in confidence so rather than people saying oh if steve jobs let's take all the good bits of Steve Jobs and let's leave away those bad bits. They're saying that the shadow probably made him who he was. So by embracing the shadow, he was able to be so creative and be so innovative and also leak out some of those things that people might often try to suppress.
1: Mm, The opposite of that is him just being weak and unassertive. Mm. I think assertiveness is the most obvious um, benefit of of incorporating the shadow into your character. And Green says, understand you pay a greater price for being so nice and deferential than for consciously showing the shadow of yours that is mm. deep down there.
0: Yeah, so rather than thinking this, this, this person is, uh, I'm holding them on a, such a high regard, Hang on, there's, there's a few things I don't agree with, so I'm going to try and not take those on board and I'm just going to try and take all the good qualities. That's definitely not the way to go about it. You need to incorporate your own shadow and don't just hide the, the negative sometimes.
1: So some things you can do is you can get in the daily habit of asserting yourself more and compromising less. So be stronger in your
0: positions and don't, don't just back down so easily. And a thing that's much easier said than done is uh, care less about what other people think of you. Because obviously, that's a big reason we're suppressing this. We're thinking if we let the shadow out and people see this, they're going to judge us extremely. And so, yeah, it's easier said than done, but you've got to care less about what other people think about you.
1: And number three is realize at times you must offend or even hurt people who block your mm. path, who have ugly values and who unjustly criticize you. So if someone's yeah. being a dick. So say if you got oh no someone's bullying someone in the office let the shadow out and knock that person out not physically yeah. but maybe, maybe mentally feel free to destroy that person because their their values are ugly they're being sexist or whatever like that so if you mm. let the shadow out you can be more effective like that
0: yeah don't just think that I want to get along with everybody I don't want them to judge me I want to be the bully's friend and I want to be the bully E's friend uh, then you want to yeah let the shadow out and knock out that bully knock out yeah. the bully Chapter 10 Beware the Fragile Ego The Law of Envy. We humans are naturally compelled to compare ourselves with one another. We are continually measuring people's status, the levels of respect and attention they receive, and noticing any differences between what we have and what they have. For some of us, this need to compare serves as a spur to excel through our work, but for others, it can turn into deep envy. Feelings of inferiority and frustration that lead to covert attacks and sabotage. Nobody admits to acting out of envy. You must recognize the early warning signs, praise and bids for friendship that seem effusive and out of proportion, subtle digs at you that, under the guise of good natured humor, apparent uneasiness with your success. It is most likely to crop up among friends or your peers in the same profession. Learn to deflect envy by drawing attention away from yourself. Develop a sense of self-worth from internal standards and not incessant comparisons.
1: All right, so envy, it's one of the most painful emotions and I was kind of glad to hear that it is a part of human nature and it's something you can actually overcome, which we'll get into toward the end of the chapter.
0: I think it's great to realize that... uh Everything, not everything, but a lot of stuff is driven by envy. So Robert Greene says, a lot of the emotions we feel, the first emotion is really envy and then it mutates into something else. But the, the starting point of this all is envy.
1: Mm. So with envy comes the, the secret desire to hurt, wound or steal from the envied person. And the whole reason we want to ride the unfairness that comes from his or her supposed superiority.
0: Yeah, I like it. It's a painful emotion because what, it, what we're really doing is we're realizing or admitting our own inferiority. We're realizing that somebody's achieved something great, which means that we're not as good as them and yes. that's where the envy comes from. And it hurts, man. <laughs> if, you,
1: if you realize it's envy and you're admitting that you're not as good as the other person, yeah. it is so bloody painful. Yeah. And that's why straight away it moves from this pain of envy and it quickly transitions into Sunday cows. Yes, so, everything, um, in order for the envious to feel entitled to take harmful action on this person who's superior, they must get create some kind of narrative about how the other person is more superior.
0: Yeah, they, they might say, this person, they didn't deserve it, or they, they just got lucky, or they're unscrupulous in their behavior, or they're just trying to manipulate everybody. So, they're using, they're coming up with some negative trait that they're putting on you due to the enviness that they felt.
1: And- before you know it, because of the underlying envy, they um, act really rashly against you mm. and then there's confusion for you. It's like, fuck, why, why are they so mean to me or why have they done, why are they so cold? Why have I been fired and why is this person against me? And it's really hard for you to detect. It's really an envy attack.
0: Yes, you got to very be, be very careful because until reading this chapter, I definitely wasn't as aware that envy was a driver of so many of these things. And he says, we need to understand that envy occurs most commonly and most painfully among friends or or colleagues in the same position because they're the types of people that have got the same goals and want to achieve the same things. And if you achieve it and they don't, that's where the envy is coming from most strongly.
1: Mm. So, right now, it's not a question about becoming paranoid of all the people who might envy you and as the the title suggests, having fragile egos. It's simply becoming alert and picking up the signs of envy around you so mm. then you can defend yourself against these envy attacks.
0: Yeah, that's what, the, what he does in this chapter. The first one is sort of identifying envy. The next one is, you know, modifying your own behavior around these fragile egos to reduce that envy. And then the third part is our own envy. Trying to, how do we reduce our own envy and transmute that into something else?
1: So, the quote he's got here by Gore Vidal is, every time a friend succeeds... I die a little.
0: <laughs> he's not a good friend to have. I don't reckon. Not a I don't good even friend, know mate. who he is, but not a good friend to have.
1: But um, mate, there's a lot of. I think that's the default for a lot of people out there. Yeah. There are some friends who are genuinely, genuinely happy for you, and they're the friends you want. But there are those friends few and far between. If you succeed a little bit and you let them know, you can just see them die that little yeah. bit, and it's painful. Yeah. Or really? yourself. <laughs> We're talking about...
0: Uh, we've all got a, a bit of this as well, right? Oh, 100%. So, we
1: really... So as you said, the first part, we want to detect the envy.
0: Yes. And so, there's a few things that he says here that we can uh, start to look around and realize that somebody is harboring this envy. So, one he calls is it micro expressions. So, if you tell somebody some good news about yourself... If you see a little sneer or a little bit of discomfort in them, that's a sign of envy. And inversely, if you tell them some bad news, if their eyes light up a bit and realize that, hang on, maybe uh, this guy isn't such a, a godlike figure and they sort of start to realize that, oh, maybe there's something bad happening here. I'm mm. going to enjoy this story. Mm, exactly. There's this quick expression of
1: um, disappointment when you tell them something good and then they move into the fake, oh, they're acting all happy. But, yeah, so, it's so really it's
0: quick. That micro expression that it's that micro-expression that it's hard to spot um, but if, you, if you're about to share some good news with someone that you suspect is envious, it's probably a good time to be really focused on, okay, what, what am I going to pick up here in this micro-expression? Absolutely. <laughs> and equally, tell them a misfortune of yours and you'll
1: notice the uncontrollable expression of joy. <laughs> so, you tell them, oh, yeah, today I got fired. You see yeah. their eyes light up and... oh. <laughs> Oh I'm getting so excited sorry to hear that. and then they move into our,
0: uh, oh shit, so sorry to hear. <laughs> That's so funny. Another type of thing that we can detect is poisonous prey. This is good. Yeah, I love this man. It's just like a it's it's sort of it's just a backhanded compliment almost so it's like if you get a promotion then they'll be like oh that's great now you'll earn some more money so it's almost like the whole reason that you wanted to get a promotion was just to get more money not because you're going to have a more positive impact or that you've been doing really good work it's just that they're saying that oh, i was just about getting more money you're selfish little prick
1: yeah exactly it's extremely extremely subtle this and the way you can detect is like you walk away feeling confused like they praise you but you feel that little bit uncomfortable it's it's yeah. odd
0: Yeah, it's some kind of like he also talks about say if it's a creative thing, like if you have a new book or you make a film or you have some kind of business success and you're doing it for one reason, like it's as a creative expression and they bring it back to a negative thing like oh now you're going to be more powerful or now you're going to be able to better influence other people or now you're going to be able to make more money. Like they're going to bring it back to some kind of backhanded compliment. Mm.
1: Another one is gossiping. And if people gossip a lot about people because they're envious and they they might not explicitly or they're definitely not going to explicitly say it's because of envy, you can be sure one day when you're not around, the gossip is going to be on you. Yeah, exactly. If people gossip to you, they're going to (laughs) be gossiping about (laughs) you another time. (laughs) Exactly. It's it's 100% (laughs) it, man.
0: Oh, definitely, man. And the other one he calls the push and pull. He says that some envious use friendship and intimacy as the best way to wound people. So, they draw you in. They really want to be really good friends and see you a lot and from the inside, then that's when they can start to inflict their, their envy attacks.
1: Mm. So, there's a whole bunch of different type of envies and he um, characterizes all the different types so it's much easier to detect in, mm. in your life and, uh, you know, through reading the book when he does stuff like this, you can go, oh, shit, that's that mate, that's that mate, that's that <laughs> colleague or whatever and then every now and then, oh, shit, that's me. <laughs> They're the best ones. (laughs) Yes. So, you got the leveler and this person, when you first meet them, levelers seem rather entertaining and really interesting, but they're really good at putting people down. You know, they've got very fragile egos and their main goal is to bring everyone else down to that same mediocre level that they occupy.
0: Yeah, they're probably using those backhanded compliments and they're probably spreading the gossip to bring everyone down to the same level. The next one is a self-entitled slacker. So, everybody or or not everybody, especially these people, they feel like they rightly feel entitled to have success. They feel like they deserve good things in life and usually they don't recognize that there's a, a fair amount of sacrifice and hard work involved in that. So, when they see someone succeed they think they get the envy of why is this person succeeding, not me, and they don't think maybe it's because they worked really bloody hard. Yeah. <laughs> and That's that, me. That's me. That is- <laughs> exactly you, mate. It's, uh, we should get like a ding bell or something
1: <laughs> when we're talking about ourselves. And the other is the status fiend. So, you'll notice them by the questions they ask. So, they'll be always asking you, oh, yeah, did you fly business class? How much money are you on? Um, whether they own a home Uh, All these other little petty things Mm. because deep down, they're just always really judging themselves against you Mm. and the other people around them. And if you confirm that you are flying business class and you own that nice home, it will hurt them that little bit more. They'll (laughs)
0: die that little bit more. (laughs) And inversely, they sometimes maybe drive old cars or dress shabbily as just a way to, I guess, repress their own... that's me i like it (laughs) oh bang on
1: yeah so that'll be the 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 idealistic hippie while secretly uh yearning for these luxuries that people get through hard work so they're putting on this front they're like this hippie the spiritual they don't give a fuck about all those materialistic things but deep down they're really desperate for it that's a ding (laughs) that's a ding i love that
0: so next is envy triggers okay so now that we've Okay, we've recognized some of these uh, things that they might do. We've recognized some of these types of people. What are the things that trigger uh, envious and how can we, I guess, best blunt those? So, one he says that what you should be doing is always inject a bit of self-deprecating humor. Mm. So, rather than constantly sharing all the successes you're having, the deal you closed at work, your stock that you bought just went up, whatever it is, rather than sharing always your successes, have a bit of self-deprecating humor in there.
1: Mate, this is incredibly practical. So, of the character types we mentioned earlier, you're going to have some friends who are are like that, understand who they are and these are the things you want to be doing to avoid envy coming up in them so they don't try and destroy you uh, in a really (laughs) weird and and subtle kind of way. So, that's a great first one, the self-depreciating humor. Another is when discussing your success and all the good things that are happening to you, always overemphasize the element of luck. Hmm. So, your natural superiority is a lucky thing um, that you just got through chance, not through any kind of uh, nothing deserved.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because that's that's what they're going to be thinking. So, if you can call it out first and always play out that element of luck, that's a good one. Another one is to try and hide some of your natural talents. So, if you do have natural talents, try not to flaunt them hmm. in front of these enviers.
1: Another... Discuss the mistakes you've made in the past and all the things you've fucked up and show some selective awkwardness that doesn't diminish your overall reputation and, uh, you know, don't don't just destroy yourself. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Just, yeah. It is a bit of a shame that you have to, you know, play down your success, have some self-deprecating humor, hide your natural talents, play up luck, inject a few, you know, mistakes. But, yeah, it's a shame that you have to do that around some people, but... it is true. <laughs> not at yeah, well, exactly. Yeah.
1: Well, it's it's, it, it, it's a good way of deciphering who your real friends are probably yeah. from the fake ones. The very ones true. where you have to hide big parts of your personality that are probably the best parts mm. of who you are, um, maybe they're not the best people to hang around, these envier types.
0: Yeah, I'd say that's that's very true.
1: So, mate, good news is, um, and I think all of us have times where we... <laughs> We do experience envy. It's a hum- part of human nature, thank God, but there is a way beyond envy where you can turn into something really positive, which is fucking good.
0: Yeah, so this is for our- ourselves. So if we're feeling envy, here's some of the things that we can do to uh, best mitigate that feeling of envy. So one he says is move closer to what you envy. So if there's, you think someone's got the, the perfect family or the perfect relationship or the, the best job in the world, if you move closer to that, You realize that maybe it's not all that the image that you've conjured up in your brain. That maybe there's a a few things that you wouldn't be so envious about that situation.
1: Yeah, everyone's just showing their highlights, real, especially on Facebook and Instagram or whatever. You're just seeing all the highlights. When you get a little bit closer, you can just notice that uh, if you live with them, you notice they
0: shit twice a day and so (laughs) forth. Very true. (laughs) I think another like a a big one is like hearing about um, people's jobs. And if you so if you meet up with someone that you haven't seen for a while and you say, you know, how's work been going? They're going to give you like the first three sentences is going to be the best things that they've done from the last 12 months. And you might think, wow, they've got the best job in the world, but you don't see the monotonous day-to-day stuff that uh, they're never going to tell you about. So by moving closer to that, that's when you realize that that envy you're feeling is probably misguided.
1: Another way to move beyond envy is practice mitfreude. <laughs> I, I don't even know how yeah, to pronounce so that's
0: it. That's pretty close, Freud. I was, I was waiting for you to do that one. So, mitfreude is the opposite of schadenfreude. So, schadenfreude is like uh, enjoying other people's um, mistakes or when something goes wrong, you enjoy it. So, the opposite is mitfreude. So, practice enjoying when things go right for other people. So, practice enjoying their success rather than enjoying their failures.
1: Another is transmuting envy into emulation. So, Mm. if someone's uh, actually better than you at something, rather than just feel envious, find out why they're better and how you can incorporate some of the traits they've got into your own life. And that's why it might be difficult hanging around people who are so much better than you uh, at everything. But in reality, in the long run, you can probably take some of their character traits and improve yourself.
0: I like that one a lot. Rather than just... If someone achieves success, rather than feeling envious and thinking, oh, that that guy got so lucky or he's such a manipulative dog behind the scenes, think, what have they actually done and what can I use in my own life that's going to help me achieve a similar sort of success? So, transmitting envy into emulation, I think, is a great one. Another one he talks about in the the book is uh, downward comparing as well. So, it's sort of like realize that, yes, these people are achieving great success but you've got to recognise that you're doing pretty bloody well as well. There's other people who are much less well off than you. Mm. And admire human greatness. admiration
1: is the opposite of envy. And when you acknowledge mm. people's achievements, you go fuck that they're pretty they're pretty good at what they do. And you celebrate them, um, then you don't have to feel so insecure and have the envy. Mate, it's incredible, incredible steps to get get over it. So what what happens? So the next time you hear the sudden success of someone in your field or whatever, you need to be conscious and notice this inevitable feeling of wanting the same thing. and It's like this mm. really subtle pain that happens um, as a part of you and then naturally the, your human nature is going to turn it into hostility and it's going to happen so quick that you miss the transition but you need to monitor yourself and see these instances and then you can move beyond envy and then you can use these techniques to get away from this envy and turn it into real positive things.
0: That brings us to the end of part one. We've done a second part because it's such a good book. There's more things that we want to talk about. We talked about chapter three, which is called See Through People's Masks and the Law of Role Playing. We did chapter 14, which is resist the down pull of the group and the law of conformity in that we're so heavily affected by the people around us rather than thinking that we're just individuals we are actually affected by the groups we're associated with. And then chapter 17, the Historical Moments, And how does the generation and the state of the world or the culture at that point in time affect how we act and behave? So if you want to check out part two, that's a separate episode because this one was long enough already. Mm.
1: Yes, as I said at the start, best book I've ever read. And I think if people have listened this far, they could probably understand why it's got some serious slap ups in there.